quiet, please. Quiet, please. Hey, uh, before we start, I just need to warn you. This guy Irving is a real schmo. I mean, he'll tell you so himself. To that end, I want to give you a little content warning, as this episode contains descriptions of domestic violence. I'll remind you that this was written back in 1948. That's just context, not excuses. But if you've been with us before, well, you know how this usually goes. Foley Mara Studios presents Quiet Please, which is written by Willis Cooper and directed by Chuck and Megan Mara. Quiet Please for tonight is called Baker's Dozen. I thought of that. You see, I used to be a baker. Everybody was always asking for an extra bun or an extra donut or one more Parker House roll when they bought a dozen, see? I'm supposed to be some kind of old-time custom or something for bakers. But I wouldn't put out. Not me, I tell them. Not me. Don't you know, 13's an unlucky number, I'd say. And a wise guy would always say, unlucky for who? I'd say unlucky for any baker that gives away stuff, I'd say. So they'd maybe laugh. But I never lost very many customers, I guess. Anyway, you try to get a baker's dozen of anything nowadays from anybody. You get a hole in your head quicker. Well, so, baker's dozen is a kind of cute name for a story, I think. Hey, listen. Listen, see if it ain't, huh? I had this wife, see, and she has a tough time with me. I'm always biting the top off a bottle of schnapps and coming home and... Uh, taking it out on her. I love her, sure. Sure, I love her. But I'm a great big schmo that ain't got sense enough to leave the bottles in the saloon. And when I got eight, nine slugs in me, I'm a double schmo. Charlie Brooks already gave me the heave-ho 64 times. For a long time, I'm not very welcome at Charlie's bar. He said once, if he knew how to make a Mickey, he'd present me with a double one for free. So, uh, I'm not one of his favoritest fellas, see? And with my old lady, every time I come home singing, Three cheers for George Jr. High, she starts ducking. Could be because I don't like what she's got for supper, or why she, she don't get a new dress, or why she's been biting her fingernails again, and boom, I'm giving her hits. <sighs> That's me. A schmo in spades. It don't make any difference. I'm nice to her when I'm not drinking that stuff, because I'm practically always drinking the stuff, and... Man, I'm sorry. But so what? And you think she ever hangs one on my chin? No, she don't. And she don't holler copper on me either. At one time, there was a copper at drinks, though. And he hears me pushing her around, and he comes in. 
She says she hit her nose on the door. The cop gives me the ugly look. Uh, what does she do? She kisses me. Uh, what can the cop do? Go away. That's what the cop can do. So you see... Uh, why is it a woman can love a schmo? Uh, well... I got carried away telling you about myself. I, I got to tell you the story. So listen. So I was on this jury. Huh? Yeah, a lot of times I've been called for jury duty, but yeah, I'm just like you. I'm always trying to get out of it. And with me, I always find a way out. Only this time, I don't put up a beef. I take it. You ever been on a jury? <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess you know how it is then. Nobody pays any attention to you. You just sit there like a lug, like everybody else. You might as well be in uh, West Overshoe, Arkansas, or, or Arkansas, or whatever, as far as the rest of the jury's concerned. Guys hollering at witnesses, at, at bobby soxers, of all ages and sexes, watching a free show... Open to hear some dirt. <laughs> I get bored. Wow. Yeah, I, I did have a hangover, so I never come to till quite a while after the trial had begun. Y you know how a hangover is, yeah? So I kind of had blank spaces in what I heard, you know? At first, I hear the doctor saying what it was caused this guy to croak. And it was something about uh, traumatic synthesis of the uh, scrivenies or something. And that got caused by applying a blunt instrument to the fella's noggin kind of hard. So he had the scrivenies and he's a dead pigeon. And then another one stomps up and down in front of the jury box... She says, she's gonna prove this dame done it. She's gonna, by gravy, have her hung if only the fine jury will cooperate. And another fellow with a red mustache, he objects. And, and, and there's a copper that says, yeah, he found a guy with his noggin bent in and yada da yada da yada all over the place till my noggin hurts and... and yeah, yeah, I kind of go to sleep or something. Then I'm waked up like a stick and a pin in me. You know, I'm telling you about this Charlie Brooks, how he used to do me in his bar. Well, who is all of a sudden sitting on the witness stand but Charlie Brooks? Listen. Um, my name is Charles Brooks. Your occupation, Mr. Brooks? I'm a bartender. And a very good one, I hear. And I pipe up and I say, he makes the best martini in town. See, I don't, I don't own no grudges, because after all, I'm a schmo and he should throw me out. Nobody even looks at me. The gal just goes right on. Did you know the deceased, Mr. Brooks? I certainly did. And what sort of man was he, Mr. Brooks? Ah. Uh, <laughs> You know, I would say he was, uh, not a good man. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was quarrelsome. Quarrelsome. 
Yeah, you know, when he when he drank, he was quarrelsome. <laughs> Just like me, huh, Charlie? Did he drink at your bar often, Mr. Brooks? He used to, but, you know, I refused to serve him for several months. Just like me. But he came in the night he was murdered. I mean, the night he... He died, he, uh... He wasn't murdered. Move to strike that last part out, Your Honor. Strike it out. Confine your statements to answers to my questions, Mr. Brooks. The jury will decide if murder has been committed or not. Uh, yes, ma'am. Now tell me, Mr. Brooks, did you know of any quarrels this man had with his wife? Oh, yes, ma'am. I, uh... And how did you know? He told me. That was one of the reasons I told him not to come back to my bar. I see. <laughs> you said you saw him the night he died? Yes, ma'am. I came in drunk and wanted to buy a drink, but I, I said no, and I threw him out. Personally? Uh, personally, uh, yes. Yes, ma'am. Personally. It's quite impossible, isn't it, that any um, injuries you might have inflicted on him when throwing him out could have resulted in his death? Uh, ma'am, would you uh, repeat the question, please? I... Let me put it this way. You don't think that you injured him badly enough to have caused his death? Lady, I kicked him. You didn't kick him in the head? No, ma'am, I did not kick him in the head. You would say that he was a bad, vicious, wicked man then, Mr. Brooks? I certainly would. <laughs> and that he gave others good cause to kill him? I certainly do. I mean, he did. Especially his wife. Lady, they should give her a medal. That will be all, Mr. Brooks. And here comes Charlie stepping off from the witness box and walking across the floor past the jury box right in front of me. And I grin at him and I whispered, Hi, Charlie, how you doing? And you know what? He don't give me a nod. Well, he couldn't help hearing me, but he don't even look at me. <laughs> well, all right, next time you see me in your bar, bud, you ain't gonna see me, and that's a fact. Who does he think he is? A big shot just because he's a witness in court? What is this? Yeah, but that ain't the only surprise I get, Charlie Brooks. There's this copper that lives next door, like I said, Dominic Gaffigan his name is. Your name is Dominic Gaffigan? Oh, it is. And are you a police officer? I am indeed. You live next door to the defendant's place of residence? I do. Have you ever been in the defendant's home? I have. And on what occasion, Officer Gaffigan? It was on March 18th, 1947 at 7.45 p.m. I was attracted by the sound of an altercation. What kind of sound, officer? Like a man beating his wife and her whimpering-like. Go on. Well, I put on my head from the door, and the door to the defendant's apartment was open. And I looked in, and I saw the defendant running across the room, crying. And there was a rip in the waist of her dress, and she was bleeding at the nose. And what did you do? I entered the apartment. Go on. In the apartment, I saw the deceased, who was drunk at the time, and he was shouting implications at the defendant. What did he say? Well, he... <clears throat> he cursed. Very well. And what did he do? I started across the room after her. And? I stopped him. How did you stop him? I said stop. Only that? Well, uh, I put my hand against his chest loy. I see. And then what happened? Then the defendant turned on me, and she asked me what I was doing in their apartment. Did you answer her? I did. What did you say? I said, I came in to prevent murder. And what did she say to that? She turned to me. Said she'd bumped her nose on the door. There's going to be no murder and I should go away. And did you? Well, I remonstrated with her and uh, on the face of the evidence, but she would have none of it. 
And then she turned, kissed her husband, said she loved him. So I came away then. I see. And is it still your impression that your arrival on the scene prevented murder? <clears throat> it is. You think he would have murdered her? I do. And have you any knowledge of other um, altercations between the defendant and the deceased, Officer Gaffigan? I have. I stood up and I said, Gaffigan, you know you're the biggest liar in the police force. Gaffigan, you know perfectly well that was what happened at my apartment pretty near a year ago. And you're trying to hang something on some poor schmo. And you know that happened to me and Elsa. You're a stinker, Gaffigan. Yes, ma'am. I think the woman would be perfectly justified in killing the man. <laughs> you see? That's a cop for you. And I haul it out again. That Gaffigan's a liar, Judge! But nobody looked like they even heard me. Only the gal that was doing the questioning, she turned around towards the jury a minute, and she looked at us. She looked at us so long that the judge finally said, What's the matter, Miss Cunningham? I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. But every time I glance at the jury box, I get the distinct impression that there's an extra juror there. Are you sure you're feeling all right, Miss Cunningham? Well, I'm sorry, sir. I've been having a little trouble with my eyes lately. Well, I'm sure you're at liberty to count the jurors, Miss Cunningham. Thank you, Your Honor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I'm sorry, Your Honor. You may proceed, Miss Cunningham. The gal walked away. But she still looked kind of puzzled. I looked at the other jurors and every one of them was doing what she'd done. Counting. I watched them and they all turned back to the courtroom. They were satisfied there was only 12. I couldn't help counting two. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's right, twelve. But I didn't count myself. I'm 13. I make the baker's dozen. I yelled at the DA, Hey! There's 13 of us here! Hey! She acts like I'm not there. She don't even look over her shoulder at me. I yell again, Hey! But she's talking to a woman on the witness stand. Will you state your name? Mrs. Elsa Bronson. My eyes pop out. I stand up. Hey, that's my wife. What, what are you doing here, Elsa? And your place of residence. 1313 North Cross Street. Now, Mrs. Bronson, will you please tell the jury exactly what happened on the evening of January 13th? I was alone in the apartment. Speak up, please, Mrs. Bronson. I was alone in the apartment. My husband often came home late. So I was with alarm when it became seven o'clock, then eight o'clock. Hmm. And what were you doing, Mrs. Bronson? I was ironing. Ironing what? My husband's shirts. I see. Go on. When it became nine o'clock, I became a little bit alarmed. Why? Be because... Was it because you were sure your husband was drunk somewhere? My husband does not drink so much. Was it because you were afraid that he would come home drunk and beat you up? No. No. Mrs. Bronson, your husband had beaten you up before, hadn't he? No. You heard what Officer Gaffigan said, didn't you? I... I told him the truth. 
I did strike my nose on the door. You didn't strike it on your husband's fist? No. Has he never struck you? Never. Mrs. Bronson, did you... Um, did you hate your husband? I loved my husband, ma'am. Even when he beat you? He did not beat me. I loved Irving. He, he loved me. I couldn't stand it any longer. I jumped up again. I said, listen, you... What's this here all about? What are you doing with my wife? Elsa, what are they doing to you? I love my husband. Elsa, I love you. Well, if you loved him so much, why did you kill him? The devil are you talking about? What is this stuff? Listen to me. I'm talking to you. You hear me? I loved him. Sure, she loves me, and I love her. Furthermore, I'm not going to let you make a fool of her anymore. You hear me? You loved him, so you killed him. What are you talking about? And then, I got the big idea. Then I, all of a sudden, knew why the gal thought there were 13 of us in the jury box. And why there was. I could see it. I'd heard of things like that, but I didn't believe in ghost stories or whatever they are. Only I knew something now. You know what I knew. Sure, I was dead. I was a ghost. I was sitting on the jury while they was trying my wife for murdering me. It couldn't be anything else, could it? I was dead. They said I was dead. They said Elsa murdered me. You murdered your husband, Mrs. Bronson. I was ironing. I was so tired. I was... So afraid. Afraid of him. Yes, I was afraid of him. And he did beat you then. Oh, yes, I lied. Believe me, he was a good husband to me sometimes. It was only when he had the drink that he was bad. We had such a long time together, but we were happy always. And then... Once he had struck me, it was that much easier for him the next time. He was not himself when he drank, you know. He was not. And I forgave him each time. He cried for me so many times afterward. But what could I do but forgive him? I loved him. Yes, Elsa. I guess a, a dead guy can say he's sorry. Even if nobody can hear him. I know you loved me. And I loved you. Always. I don't know how this happened, Elsa. But whatever it was, I had it coming, didn't I? I asked for it. Nobody in this world would ever believe that I loved you. Nobody but you. I don't know what they'll do to you, Elsa, but I wish I could take the rap for you. It isn't enough just being dead. Then it was nine o'clock and then ten o'clock, and I was so tired. So I went and made myself a bite to eat alone. And then I came back to the ironing. I am afraid I am slow at my work, but I am very careful. And you were ironing when he came in? Yes. Yes, I was ironing. The door opened, and I saw at once that he had been drinking. He walked across the room to me, and he stood there and smiled at me. The way 
He always smiled when he was angry. And he said, he said, what are you doing, Elsa? Ironing? And I said, yes. He, he pushed the ironing board against me and, and, and the iron burned my hand and he bent over to pick me up and I struck him with the iron and it's never happened before, but I killed. Oh, take me away and hang me. I do not want to live after this. And then she got down from the witness box. She started walking out of the courtroom. And she stopped in front of the jury box. And she looked at each one of the other 12 people. The man who said he was a bookbinder and the young salesman, the girl with the red feather in her hat, and all the rest of them. And when she had looked at each one of them, she looked at me. And she saw me. I know she saw me. Come, Irving. Come home with me. I got up from my chair. And I went out the little gate in the jury box. And I walked along with her. And we went through the little fence in front and, and down the aisle. And Charlie Brooks got up and walked on one side of her. And Dominic Gaffigan, the policeman, he got up and walked on the other side of her. And we walked out. And there was another policeman with us, and I was walking behind them. And when we got out of the courtroom, it was... It was all... all dark out there. And I felt... awful... And I just got one glimpse of her as she turned her head over her shoulder, and I was walking in the dark for a long, long time. And I didn't know where I was, and, and all of a sudden there was yeah, awful bright. And I felt somebody kick at me. And there was Charlie Brooks. And if you ever come back in this place, drunk or sober, I'll beat your brains out. You hear me? And then the door closed behind him. And I was in the snow. And my head hurt. Oh, worse than ever. Uh, I get up. Uh, and and I walk in the snow. Oh, I stagger. Uh, I stagger a long, long way in the snow. Uh, I'm going home. Yeah, this, this is the house. Uh, uh, and this is the stairway. <clears throat> and this is the door. 
that's... That's Elsa. Standing there. On the other side of the ironing board. Hey. I'm not dead. Huh? What you doing, Elsa? Ironing? Listened to Quiet Please, Baker's Dozen, which is written by Willis Cooper and directed by Chuck and Megan Mara. Irving, the person who spoke to you, was played by Richard Cancino. And Elsa was Caroline Keeler. The district attorney was Ashley Morgan. Gaffigan was played by Alan Starzinski. Charlie Brooks was Ron Morehouse. And the judge was Brian Noble. This episode of Quiet, Please was originally aired on January 19, 1948 by the Mutual Broadcasting System. This recreation of Quiet, Please comes to you from Los Angeles and is produced by Foley Mara Studios. So, until next week at this same time, I am quietly yours, Richard Cancino. <laughs>